0: Well, good morning. Um oh, I wasn't sure between Hillary and COVID, who was gonna, what well, was gonna take us out this morning. But praise God, you're all here, and uh, wow, what a testimony to your faithfulness and uh, and our our Lord. So today we are doing Revelation seventeen, eighteen. 19 and 20. Okay, possibly these are the most confusing chapters uh, in the whole book. So um, bear with me, and we're going to go through a lot. And I believe, in fact, right now, Father, I just ask that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would settle on us. That we would know you better by the end than we do right now. So Holy Spirit, would you come and just bring into our understanding and and an encounter that I I can't do with words, but you can do through your spirit. So we ask and we receive in your name. So at the end of chapter 16, we have found ourselves in the space where John has fully unpacked the message of the Lamb's scroll. In these next chapters, from 17 till the end of the book, he goes back to expand on three key themes that he has mentioned earlier, each one exploring the final coming of God's kingdom in three different ways. Today we're going to do two. Okay. So, but for your reference, all three are this. The first one is the fall of Babylon, and that's in chapter 17 to 19, the beginning of 19. The second is the final battle, part one, part two. And that's in chapter 19, the end, to 20, and 28 to 15, verses 8 to 15. And then the third is the New Jerusalem, which you will uh, explore next week. All right, let's start. Revelation chapter 17. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls then came and spoke to me, saying, Come with me, I will show you the doom of the great harlot who is seated on many waters. She with whom the rulers of the earth have joined in prostitution with the wine of those immorality, the inhabitants of the earth have become intoxicated. The angel took me away in the spirit to the desert, and I saw a woman seated on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names. He had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was robed in purple and scarlet and bedecked with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She was holding in her hand a golden cup full of accursed offenses. And on her forehead was inscribed the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes. Verse 6, I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's people and the blood of the martyrs for Jesus. And when I saw her, I was utterly amazed and wondered greatly. So this this beautiful woman kind of was presented. However, she was drunk on the blood of those who have died for their faith in Jesus and the innocent people of God. And this woman represents all the idolatry and rebellion of the nations. And she was riding on this scarlet beast symbolizing the opposite spirit of purity. And the beast is the one that we talked about a few weeks ago. It's the, most likely the first beast from the sign visions, if you remember that. She is Babylon, this woman. She is idolatrous. She's a prostitute who's given herself over to the plans of evil, and she is enjoying the pain of those who have been attacked by the dragon, which is the devil, and the beast. Those who stayed true to the lamb and faced that. This is the enjoyment of their pain that she's having. Verse 8. The beast you saw once was, but now is no more, and he is going to come up out of the abyss, which is the bottomless pit, and proceed to go to eternal punishment. That's to come. And the inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been recorded in the book of life, will be astonished when they look at the beast, because he once was, but is no more, and he's yet to come. See, the reason they're astonished, they're shocked, because they have lived their life in line with them, so they weren't expecting the devastation of him. Now verse 9 this calls for a mind with wisdom and intelligence the seven heads are the seven hills on which the woman is sitting you guys got it <laughs> the harlot the prostitute is sitting upon the beast upon the seven heads or the seven hills upon the many waters she is named babylon the great This is the absolute representation of the beastly nations of the world that has exacted its own agenda of violence and economic gain over the ways of the Lord. She is holding her golden cup full of every evil, every dark thing, every hell-inspired agenda. Her cup is full of the evil of humanity, golden as a sign of just the greatness of the evil she is holding. She is completely overwhelmed by evil and she is taking a lot of twisted pleasure in the accomplishments of her seducing the people into a belief system, into a life that she has led them into. Okay, let's go back to verse 9 where it says the seven heads of the beast are the seven hills the one the woman is sitting on. A couple things about these hills. One, Rome is actually called the city of seven hills. And many believe that the mountains refer to the seven hills in Rome. Rome, representing right now in the book of Revelation and John, like in all his messages to the churches, remember it's all connected, is representing the current nation that is rebelling against the Lord. Rome, built on seven hills, on which the Roman citizens have built their life upon. The woman, sitting on these hills, presenting her control and suppression of the nations, the current nation, and then the past nation and the future nations. That's one thing to kind of think about. Another thing to think about with these hills is I kind of wonder when I read it, the seven heads on the seven hills where the woman is sitting, maybe there's some kind of connection to the seven hills or the mountains. That we as the people of God must have influence in, in society. See, there are seven mountains or seven hills that are referenced in scripture, whereas we as the people of God must have influence in society. And these hills impact the state of our world completely. So without godly men and women like you and I and our children in place in these places of the world, it will be destroyed by the enemy and his plans. And these areas, these mountains are the church the government, family, education, entertainment, business, and media. So we have to be in, in places in these seven hills. So as we, the people of God, have been placing ourselves throughout history in significant areas of influence of these seven hills, Babylon the Great, the harlot, has been working to push her agenda, her deception, her control over these hills. And the disturbing thing is, is that some of God's people, some of us have stood by and allowed this abomination to happen all in the name of tolerance, acceptance, or even love. So let's talk about that for a minute. We can love people and disagree with them at the same time. Love doesn't equal approval. Love can stand in disagreement and keep biblical truth. In fact, if my love can't do that, then my love is conditional. Conditional upon uniformity. So unless we are the same, I'm saying that I can't love you. So, Or unless I approve of you completely, I can't love you. This is actually the opposite of godly love. Because godly love says that you can be completely different from me and I can love you completely anyway. Because as we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As we were living as enemies of him, he gave, God gave his son for us. This is love. To think that the only way I can fully love someone is to fully approve of them is a dysfunctional, selfish love, actually. Yes. And it's all hidden under a pretense of, of, well, I'm trying to love better. But we don't actually love better. We compromise. Wow. Come on. You, Verse 12. Also, the ten horns that you observed are the ten rulers or kings that have who have as yet received no royal dominion. But together they are to receive power and authority as rulers for a single hour along with the beast. These have one common purpose, and they deliver the power and authority to the beast. Okay, this is the influencing of society in the ways of the beast. This is the spirit of the world coming against the spirit of God in the earth. Verse 14, they will wage war against the lamb, and the lamb will triumph over them. Yes. Because he is the Lord of Lords. Because he is the King of Kings. And those who are with him and on his side are chosen and loyal, faithful followers of him. Verse 15. And then the angel said, the waters you observe where the harlot is seated are the races and multitudes and nations and dialects. And the ten horns you saw, they... And the beast will be the very ones to hate the harlot. They will make her desolate. They will strip her and eat her up. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his own purpose by acting in harmony in surrendering their power and authority to the beast until the prophetic words, which are the intentions and promises of God, shall be fulfilled. Okay, this is awesome because what this is saying is that God will use the evil to accomplish his good by by causing them to work in opposition with each other causing confusion, they they begin to hate each other, and then his purposes will work in the earth. So God can use anything and anyone. And the woman that you saw herself is the great city which dominates, controls the rulers and leaders of the earth. Okay, so God has allowed, which we, we know, the powers of evil to reign for a time. However, it will not continue forever. But while it is, the beast controls and rules the general population. The harlot chases after the rulers and the leaders, people in areas of influence in society. And she's seated on the multitudes of of people from every nation across the globe. She is suppressing with control and manipulation. She's attacking the areas (laughs) of influence that impact every single person on the planet. We look around our world, and this is exactly how it feels. Suppressed, evil advancing, rulers making decisions counter to the ways of the Lord. All of these things are happening. Now let's just take a deep breath. We're like just getting going. The details of this vision seems very complicated. <laughs> However, to John's readers, it would not be that way. In the vision Military and economic powers uh, of the Roman Empire are being personified, and we understand. And, and as we understand, he's. He, however, J- John's also brought in many symbols from Old Testament scriptures. In fact, I feel like he's brought them all in. The downfall of Babylon, Tyre, and Edom—they're blended in with these vision, and 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 we don't even see it because it's complicated for us. But not for his current day readers. But for your reference, if you want to kind of look across scripture, you can look at Isaiah 13, 23, 34, 47. You have to write this down fast. Jeremiah 50, 51 or Ezekiel 26, 27. You can cross-reference some of the Old Testament things. But remember this for today. What Babylon was, Rome now is in current. As is All human kingdoms that go against the ways of the Lord, ours included. So Rome here in this moment is simply the newest kid on the block, the newest version of the Old Testament archetype that's the rebellion against against, uh, humanity against God. That's what this is. And people have come together once again and formed nations and exacted their economic and military security and power into a god, a false god that's put itself above the Lord, above all else, and is idolized, and this is the way of life, and this is the way it should be. And it seems as though through the centuries it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger with every nation and bigger, and it's turned into a a huge, magnificent, evil machine. Why? Because what you feed grows. In the book of Genesis, the devil, as we see, starts as a small, seductive serpent. A little snake. But here at the end of the book of Revelation, we see him as a huge, powerful, destructive dragon. What we feed grows. So who's feeding the dragon? See, that small thing that we allow the enemy to control in us, that small little thing that we we let in to take power, even just a, a, a little thing over time, develops into this untamable, untamable force that we, we just don't even know how to escape from. It seems so innocent. It seems so small. It didn't even seem like it was really that bad, but then it grows a little more, and then we feed it some more, and then it grows a little bigger and a little bigger, and our lives change, and our priorities change, and our thoughts change, and our motives change, and God is moved, and I an Idol is put in his place, and that idol at full maturity capitalizes our hearts. It takes control of our minds. It it, it begins to make us act in certain ways, and we become subjects, blinded by deception, and at the mercy of the deceiver. This accomplishment on humankind is what is the laughing stock of the dragon and the harlot, right here in this passage. And again. This is not a condition confined to John's current time. It is not limited to the past or to the future event. This is not a moment in time, but rather a picture of the human condition throughout history to today. This whole book is a symbolic vision for every generation of the church. So let's read on. Verse 18. I mean, chapter 18, verse 1. And then I saw another angel descending from heaven, possessing great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his radiance and splendor. And he shouted with a mighty voice, she is fallen, mighty Babylon is fallen, for all the nations have drunk the wine for her passion on chastity. Verse 4, And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come up from out of her, my people, that you may not share in her sins. For her crimes are piled high as the heaven and God has remembered her crimes and he's calling them for settlement. This is good. Repay to her what she paid herself to others and double her doom in accordance with what she has done. Verse 9, and the rulers and leaders of the earth who joined with her will all weep when they see the smoke of her conflagration. They will stand a long way off in terror of her torment. They will cry, oh great city, Babylon has fallen. What has happened? What is going on? Your doom is overtaking you. See, this is a suddenly that that took a long time to get there. A suddenly that wasn't so sudden. And the earth's businessmen will weep and grieve because no one buys their, their stuff anymore. Their gold, their silver, their cinnamon, their spices, the the ripe fruits and delicacies for which your soul has long has gone from you, never to be recovered or experienced again. Verse twenty: Rejoice over her, O heaven, O people of God! Rejoice, O people of God, because God has executed vengeance for you upon her then a single powerful angel this is good takes up a boulder like a great milestone and flung it into the sea crying "With such violence shall babylon the great city be hurled down to destruction and never be found again see this seductive power of evil pushing our desires to chase the things of the world, enticing humanity, drawing in the innocent, infiltrating our belief systems and economic systems. It's brainwashing our children in school systems. It's controlling the media. It's targeting certain groups in order to accomplish certain agendas. But in one enormous hurl, the woman, Babylon, representing all the nations and the power of the evil one is taken down and the Lord's kingdom is come. She has come to her ruin, and those who followed will see the end of the story that we already know was actually true. What a magnificent power. Powerful scene of evil being defeated. What a great moment for the people of God. This is the fall of Babylon, which is the first picture of the coming of God's kingdom. Now, John retells the final coming of God's kingdom again a second way exploring the viewpoint of the final battle part one part two so in this step back right now we're going to go to the sixth bowl Craig talked about the sixth bowl last week and the sixth bowl when the angel kind of took out the bowl on right it was the battle of Armageddon so we're back to Armageddon so up to this point, when we've talked about the day of the Lord in, in Revelation, it's been presented either through fire, or earthquake, or even harvest we've talked about. But now John is telling it through a final battle, and he's, he tells it, and then he tells it again. And then the result is the vindication of the martyrs, people who have died for their faith. So the first time is in chapter 19, 11 to 21, and then the second time is chapter 28 to 15. And right in the middle is where they talk about the martyrs and the vindication of the martyrs, which is chapter 20, verse one to seven. All right, chapter 19, verse 11, the first account. And after that, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and the one who was riding it was called Faithful and True. His eyes blaze like fire. This is Jesus. And on his head there are many crowns. And he has a title inscribed, which he alone can understand. He is dressed in a robe dyed by dipping in blood. And the title by which he is called is the Word of God. And the troops of heaven follows on white horses. And from his mouth comes forth a sharp sword, with which he can strike the nation's. Verse 16, and on his garment and on his thigh, he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then I saw a single angel stationed in the sun's light. And with a mighty voice, he shouts to all the birds that fly across the sky, come gather yourself to the great supper of God that you may feast on the flesh of rulers. That's kind of gross. Verse 19, then I saw the beast and the rulers and leaders of the earth with their troops mustered to go to battle and make war against him who was mounted on the horse. So against the Lord. So you have evil gathering together against the Lord. And the beast was seized and overpowered. And with him the false prophet who in his presence had worked wonders and performed miracles. Both of them were hurled alive into the fiery lake that burns and blazes with brooms. And the rest were killed by the sword that issues from the mouth of him who is mounted on the horse. And all the birds fed ravishly. And that's, you can read the rest. So here we are in the sixth bowl, the battle of Armageddon. The beastly nations are gathered opposing God. Then suddenly Jesus appears on his horse, just on feet. He is the hero. And he is the actual word of God. Riding on this horse with the sword coming out of his mouth. And it's time for the finale. To conquer evil and the of the world once and for all. It's been a long time coming. The people of God have been waiting. They've endured, we've endured through a lot. The martyrs have lost their lives. There's been persecution. It's time. But the scene is not what we would expect in this moment. Because it's, it's important mention to 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 notice that Jesus is covered with blood before it even began. But it's not the enemy's blood, and it's not my blood or your blood. It's his blood. He's covered with his own blood on his white horse, and he has one weapon, a sword in his mouth. You're like, well, that could explain the blood. Just kidding. It's It's not what that is. This is an image from Isaiah 11 Verse 4 and 49, verse 2, if you want to look at it another time. See, John is is, is telling us that this, this Armageddon, this will not be a horrid bloodbath. But Jesus, the slain lamb, who shed his own blood for his enemies, for us, in his own bloodbath, now comes with justice this is for justice he is not about destruction this is about justice see when the enemy fights he's all about destroying us he's all about defeating us he's all about messing with us but jesus battles have nothing to do with the devastation of humankind but rather an upholding of a standard of justice See, accountability is held as the people from every land, tribe, and tongue are now will be now brought into justice. See, don't you ever think? Well, the world just keeps getting worse, and the people in the world just keeps getting worse, and nothing will ever be done about it. We think that, right? Really, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And it's just awful. There will come a day of justice. Amen. That's true see the love and mercy of god is powerful we know that it's forgiving it's unconditional however god's holiness governs his love well what does this mean this means there's coming a day when all the chances and second chances and third chances and 100 chances and all the chances are over there's coming a day the great day of the lord where people will be held accountable. This is justice. Those who live for the beastly nations, those who let the woman control them, who didn't stand in the ways of the Lord, they will be held accountable. We should not attempt to live in the mercy of God forever. I love the mercy of God. I am so, I need it every day. But that should not be my goal, to stay in the mercy of God. My goal, there has to be a time when I can take personal responsibility for my actions, my motives, my life with Jesus, and, and step into the righteousness of Christ that I am. The, the, he has called me holy and righteous. And that has to become a time where I just make a resolve to do that. That I will be better. I won't always be, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm constantly tripping up, but I'll be like, you know what, I think I'm done with that now. And I think I'm going to move on to a a better way, more faithful, more holy, more righteous in him. I know I'm already in a position of complete righteousness, but I can continue to work towards more righteousness. So I, I, I live from a position, but I'm also gaining righteousness as I turn away from the ways of the world. Is see, it's not enough to come to know Jesus and 20 years later still be circling those same mountains, facing the same yeah. temptations, working on the same issues. It, we need to have a resolve to grow up in the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. And not just us, but we need to train our children yeah. to grow up in the Lord because they can be 14 years old and mature in the ways of the Lord. So right now, after all this, John sees a vision of the followers who have been murdered by Babylon. The martyrs. Those who would not renounce the name of Jesus. And in this vision, they're brought back to life, and then they reign with Jesus, for the, the Messiah, for a thousand years. This is the vindication of the martyrs. And this is called the Millennial Reign of Christ. Let's read chapter 20. And then I saw an angel descending from heaven. He was holding the key of the bottomless pit. And a great chain was in his hand. He gripped and overpowered the, the dragon, that old serpent from Genesis, who is the devil and Satan. And he bound him for a thousand years. Then he hurled him into the bottomless pit. He closed it so that he could no longer lead astray all the nations. Then I saw thrones, and sitting on them were those to whom authority to act, a judge, and past sentence were entrusted. I saw the souls of those who had been slain with axes who had been beheaded for their witnessing for Jesus, for preaching, for teaching the word of God, and who had refused to pay homage to the beast or his statue. They had not accepted the mark or permitted it to be stamped on their foreheads and hands. They had lived and ruled with Christ a thousand years. Verse 7, And when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his place of confinement. Let's pause couple things concerning the thousand years and its connection to the battle we just read and the one we're about to read. One thought is that this is a literal sequence, like a timeline. One battle, millennial reign of Christ, other battle. Another thought that people stand on is that the thousand years actually is a sim- symbol of Jesus' present kind of victory over spiritual death and evil and the two battles part one and part two that we're reading are jesus returned from two different angles just told twice so hold those thoughts as we read the final battle part two verse eight and he will go forth to deceive and seduce and lead astray the nations this is the evil that are in the four quarters of the earth and they swarm up over a broad plain of the earth and encircle god's people like we had talked about before. So they're, ascend- they're gathering together to go against God's people. And then the, oh, I can't miss this. But fire descended from heaven and consumed them. So they're assembled and pff, fire descends from heaven and consumes them. Then the devil who had led them astray was hurled into the fiery lake of burning brimstone. Where the beast and the false prophet were and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and the one who is seated upon it. I saw the dead, great and small, they stood before the throne and books were open and then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were, were judged for what they have done in accordance with what was written in the book. See, everything is written in the book. And the sea delivered up the dead who were in it, surrendered the dead in them, and they were tried, and their cases were determined by what they had done according to their motives, their aims, and their works. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found recorded in the book of life, he was also hurled into the lake of fire. Okay. So this is where the dragon has inspired all the rebellion of the nations. Like I said, he'd rallied these nations to rebel against the Lord's, God's kingdom again. But before God's throne of justice, the Lord, God is sitting on the throne, and, 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 and he's about to have them face their consequences, their eternal defeat. And in that moment, the fire falls from heaven, and they're consumed. So that the forces of spiritual evil and everyone who who doesn't want to participate in the ways of the Lord and God's kingdom are done. The dragon, which is the devil, Babylon, the evil nations, and all who choose them are eternally quarantined. Never again to corrupt God's new creation, which we'll talk about, Craig will talk about next week, the New Jerusalem. This is a moment You have an element where we're happy that evil's been defeated, but then we're like, what about all those people, all those people. What about those people? They were real people. So before we start to feel uncomfortable, like this is, maybe this is unfair, remember this. We have all been given the same choices, the same opportunities, the same invitations. God is just. He is not capable of being anything else. These demonic forces and the people that have followed the ways of the enemy are given exactly what they'd always wanted to exist by themselves and live for themselves. This breaks the heart of God. He sent his son to die for these people. Nobody wanted this. So let's recap. We have the fall of Babylon, the woman and the beast hurled out of power. And then we have the final battles, one and two. In part one, we saw Jesus on the white horse the sword coming out of his mouth and the army of the people of God. In part two, we saw the release of evil for that last time and gathering up that demonic army, but then but then they just stand in victory as fire falls from heaven, devouring the evil and sends the devil and the, to join the beast and the false prophet, which I don't think I'd mention, but the false prophet is more than likely another name for the second beast that we talked about before the one um, that represented economic propaganda and kind of playing with your mind and deceiving. They're thrown into the lake of fire. We also read of the 1,000 years millennial reign and the two schools of thought: literal timeline and events and the battle told two different ways. We also, I mean, it's fact, it's the vindication of the martyrs, those who would not renounce the name of Jesus, who stood through all the evil and the pain. This is a lot happening here. I hope you took notes. (laughs) You can listen to it again. I'm pretty sure the retention level will be quite low today. (laughs) I'm praying for supernatural. Now, here's what's important. No matter what view you land on. Concerning the battles.
1: Who the beasts are.
0: The supreme appearance of this false prophet that most likely is the second beast from earlier chapters. Jesus, the slain lamb, the conquering king, the horse rider, God on the throne throwing fire bombs. Whatever your thought is about hell, eternal fire, eternity, a thousand years of bliss... The bottomless pit what does that even look like it doesn't matter as much as the main point to land on is this is what we know Jesus will return as king 100% Jesus will deal with evil forever Jesus will vindicate those who have been loyal to him so what does this mean for me (laughs) this is what it means I'm going to have you on come
1: this is what it means.
0: Number one, as a follower of Jesus, you are on the winning side. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of what is today and what's coming tomorrow, what eternity will look like. What the end of times will be, you don't have to be afraid. You are secure in him. Number two, living wholeheartedly for Jesus will have its reward. This is not something you are doing in vain that at the end you'll be like, what was the point of that? Suffering for Jesus will have its reward. Suffering for the 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 pain of the cause of the gospel, doing hard things, investing your finances, your your talents, your your the things that that you have, your your time will have its reward. That time you have to stand up in your schools or or in your workplaces and make a stand for justice and not give in to to the propaganda and the pull and the lures and the the, the belief system of the world. that When you have to endure persecution for that, it will have its reward. Number three, evil will be brought to ruin. This is all evil. This is sickness this is death. This is addiction. This is those thoughts that plague you that you can't get out of your head. They go over and over and over. The depression that sits in, the things that it tells you to do, the things that it tells you that you are, it will have its end. And number four, you don't have to wait for the date of victory to live victorious because it's actually already happened see the cross sealed the deal when jesus died in that once and for all moment he ended it all sickness all disease all fear all pain all the things where we live in lack he ended it so you don't have to wait for that great day of victory you can live in a position That's what it means for us today. Why don't we stand as I pray for you? There's a couple. Why don't we just bow our heads, close our eyes. There's a couple things that I'm feeling. I feel like there's some. there's been like, And it's impacted you in profound ways, like your deep inner core, where sometimes the pain is so great that you don't even know what to do. You're so deeply devastated. And it's the spirit of the world that settled upon you. if that's you and I know I'm being a little vague and I'm doing that on purpose, just to protect you. But if you resonate with that, with it just all the eyes closed. I just want you just to raise your hand so I don't know what I'm praying for. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Yeah, thank you. You can lower your hand. here right now present walking these aisles walking these rows for those hands that went up and for those hearts that responded to you you are walking through and passing through and you are touching each one so I pray right now that as your hand goes out that there would be a miraculous impact of the kingdom of God of the spirit of God that would defeat the spirit of the world that's taken a hold. I pray against the suppression that's been on them and the the oppression of the enemy. And I ask for a lifting in your name, in your name. I I declare the brightness of the Son of Heaven over lives in Jesus. And I pray for each other one that's here today. I pray that we would have greater understanding of you and a greater encounter with you today as we've learned more and been revealed more. I pray that you would take the words that came out of Scripture today and you would help us to apply it in a deep, deep way. That we would be able to take it, apply it, and live with eternal perspective. That this wouldn't just be a great deal of knowledge we're obtaining, but this would literally change our way of life. In Jesus' name.